So Reed, it's the holiday season, and that means we end up going to some kind of a holiday party. And at the holiday parties, there's always sort of a weird arrangement of food and snacks, like the annual cheese log and things like that. What are some weird snacks that you've seen? I don't know that I've seen all that weird. I just, you know, volume more than anything else. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard about this, but turkey flavored Doritos. Oh, gosh. And then, of course, in the UK, they're serving the complete Christmas dinner in a can. Starting off with scrambled eggs and bacon at the top, mince pie, turkey, potatoes, gravy, bread sauce, cranberry sauce, a layer of Brussels sprouts with stuffing, roast carrots. There's another layer there. And it ends with Christmas pudding all in one can. Oh, of course, you can just like, I guess, hang out with the can all day long. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. It's a special day, special episode, number 150, 150 times we have done this. And uh, here we are. Hey, Reed, this is our sesquicentennial. I'm going to have to take your word for it. I don't know what that means. No. <laughs> That means 150 episodes. Yeah, no, I, I just can't ever say those other than like bicentennial or something, you know, once once we're piecing together like multiple. Anyway, well, it's good to be here. Thanks all for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Uh, Touchpoint has been something Chris and I have done really out of a labor of love for going on three years now. I mean, 150 episodes, you know, that's pretty close to three years just numerically, but we've got a few weeks to go before we hit the actual calendar anniversary, if you will. We appreciate the support. Uh, This has grown and grown and grown over the last several years. And it's only due to the fact that uh, all of you listen in each and every week. So quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Sign up for the weekly email, the TPS reports. You can do that there at touchpoint.health as well. I'm not going to mention a lot about the other shows because we're going to get into that here in a minute. But before we do, uh, let's take a quick pause and then we'll uh, jump right in. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Well, 
Well, this is the episode read that I always anticipate because it's coming right in the middle of the holiday season, and it's our annual sampler platter of the best of our Touchpoint network. And I know how much you like sampler platters. Absolutely. Or Christmas dinner, if you listen to the intro. So (laughs) kind of the same thing, kind of the same thing. Kind of the same thing, right, exactly. And today, we actually have clips from all the other shows on our network, and some of the best of. And the best of, as voted by our own hosts, the hosts of the the shows themselves. Kind of looking forward to this. Should be a lot of fun. So we uh, asked these show hosts, what's an episode that maybe sticks out from this past year? We're going to start out with Data Point, which you've heard us mention, and we obviously had host Greg Matthews on the show. His show... You know, a lot like ours, but he gets more into the data and analytics. Uh, it's not just about hospitals and health systems necessarily, but it's about data and analytics and, and improving healthcare. Really, really neat show. So I went back and looked. Uh, data Point actually launched just over a year ago. So episode one was November the 6th, 2018. So he just. Uh, rolled over his you know one year anniversary as far as the calendar goes. But we, when we asked him which episode kind of really sticks out from 2019 specifically, he pointed to an episode that was back March the 18th, 2019. Can telehealth help address social determinants of health? And so he had a chance to sit down and visit with Karen DeSalvo, professor of medicine and population health at the University of Texas at Austin's Dell Medical School. Just a little clip from that particular episode. Hi, I'm Greg Matthews, the host of the Data Point Podcast. We started this show at the end of 2018, so 2019 has been our first full year. And we've had some really great milestones. We ran 40 episodes this year, We ran some great mini-series on genomics, nursing innovation, diabetes management, and integrated diagnostics. Uh, We became the official podcast of the American Telemedicine Association, and we cleared the 10,000 downloads mark. But truly, the best thing was being able to interview great guests from incredibly diverse backgrounds and interests, but all of them have a deep and abiding passion for making healthcare better and more accessible for lots and lots of people. For that reason, picking a best-of episode is ridiculously hard. There have been things I've liked about every one of these shows, and I've actually formed friendships with some of the people who've been on the show. But I do think that there's one episode that speaks especially to the heart of the show, and that's the one that I did with Karen DeSalvo. I think most of Touchpoint's listeners will be familiar with Karen, but she's an amazing woman who spent the bulk of her professional life focused on making healthcare better. She's the one who essentially restructured healthcare in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. She served in the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. She's a professor at Dell Medical School in Austin and has now recently taken a position at Google Health alongside its new chief, David Feinberg. The clip that you're about to hear speaks directly to how Karen and her team used the tragedy of a devastating hurricane to change healthcare forever in her favorite city. Happy New Year to all of the Touchpoint listeners, and I'm looking forward to seeing all of you next year on Datapoint. One of the things that I read about your work, Karen, is was in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina and really helping to rethink the way primary care is delivered to some of those populations that uh, were so dispossessed at that time. Uh, and had been underserved for a long time. Can you talk a little bit about that work and how it shaped 
some of the things that you've been working on since then, you know, at various levels of government and uh, in other ways? Yeah, that was already almost 13 years ago that, that we had that catastrophe of Hurricane Katrina. And, you know, it was, um, it was a really transformational time for our whole community in the New Orleans area. And in the health component of it, it was one of those moments in history when we took uh, that time of catastrophe to find opportunity. And it's, a, it's interesting, Greg, even this many years later, I have this very visceral um deep memory of, of us like sort of, you know, looking at each other and deciding that we were going to go forward as a community and do this together. And we were already so behind, you know, from a health standpoint going into that right. form that I thought, oh, we can only go up. <laughs> but of course it could have gone uh, much, much worse. Um, and, and our, you know, so, so I just uh, first want to make sure that it's clear to you and the listeners that our work here was, um, a, a really community engaged uh, effort that was multi-sectoral, but it, it also, I think, caused us to have to do a lot of rethinking about um, what we prioritized and how we were doing things like funding and paying for care. And and we had a, a essentially landed on a four-pronged approach to rebuilding the healthcare system in Louisiana that, mm-hmm. that meant it would be grounded in primary care, that it would be digitized, so we would... Um, jump into electronic health records and interoperability third, that we would um, uh, focus on value and quality in our payment models. And then um, finally, that we would expand coverage. And this was, you know, back in 2005, before the country was really uh, broadly moving in some of these directions. Uh, I will tell you that some 13 years later, we've made progress in all of those areas and achieved our goals. We built a really robust, sustainable primary care infrastructure in this area that serves about 200,000 people, and they're the same folks that used to sit in emergency rooms at Charity Hospital and other places and wait for care, and those sites are all, you know, electronic using electronic health records and on a regional health information exchange and improving in quality, and we've expanded coverage, and we did do some nice experiments and with payment flexibility. We've got a little bit of that embedded. Um, I still find that, that um, payment changes are going to be one of the hardest things for the country, but hopefully mm. we'll get to talk a little more about that. It was... Um, but I, I think so. The second was we had a very strategic approach and we achieved all of it. And I think the third, the third piece of this though was it wasn't quite that top down and structured. It was, it was a lot more organic work, um, which, uh, in which we created prototypes and then we developed policy that was informed by those prototypes and then, and then could support the things that were good that were happening. And so, you know, from a, from a work standpoint and a policy standpoint, I'm a really firm believer that um, there is great benefit from having multi-sectoral interprofessional collaboration to solve Mm. problems because you do better together Um, that you do need structure and strategy um, overall and, and, and clear vision and goals. But on the other hand, I think you have to be willing to test and learn and iterate along the way, which is that third area of like literally creating the prototypes as we went and saying, no, that's not how you should do community health workers. They should be did this way, you know, in terms of payment or structure. Sure. And, and that, I think that just drives a lot of the way I think about it and, and do my work uh, ever since. It was really formative for me. You know, this is, it's really a remarkable thing and you noted it, but I want to, I want to come back to this. The pillars that you, that you talked about, you know, a focus around primary care, making sure that everything is digitized, um, a focus on value and quality and um, expanding coverage. 
all of this was happening before you know, the things that we think about today, we think about all those things as being sort of a part of our focus today. But this is, as you say, 13 years ago, this is pre ACA, right? This is, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, predates, I think it predates the high tech act, like there are all kinds of yeah. interesting things that have happened since then, uh, that you all were working on earlier. And I think it is fascinating. You know, you talk about the grassroots nature of that work. As you were going through that, were you at that point engaging people outside the traditional realm of the health system? You know, were 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 you beginning to address some of those social issues? You know, that maybe were around housing or or transportation or you know some of the other things that we think about as social determinants of health today. Did those come into play as you were creating those and developing that framework for solution? They did. Um, and I'll, I want to uh, mention a, a couple of examples of it. But first, I just want to say a word about the framework and the window of opportunity that we that we found ourselves in in the middle of that disaster, which was, you know, I had been practicing medicine, including primary care in a, a really traditional environment at Charity Hospital, very doctor centric, um, using paper and had over the course of time, had a variety of experiences of of making good improvements uh, mm-hmm. in, within that framework. But when we were able to step out of that, because we were literally kicked out of the hospitals because they were closed and right. and working on the street to create this new fabric, it, it it just the clarity around well, the best evidence shows we can save the most lives, you know, by um, increasing access to good primary care, and good primary care means that you can see what you're doing well and identify gaps, which means you've got to have digital information. It was really, for us, um, having seen our paper records turn into bricks when they flooded, there was no yeah. question that we oh couldn't go back to that, right? So it was a really easy leap. And then and then we wanted to reward outcomes and, and value and not blame patients for or doctors for bad care, but really think about how you create a value-driven system that that is enabled by systemness and not just by what one person does or, or thinks and make sure everybody was in, like have a tent that 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 had coverage expansion that everyone could be um, a part of. So just in that moment of, of clarity, I guess we dug into some of the same thinking and literature that has led to these other national efforts. And um, we, um, I, I think we really benefited from a lot of great national thinking in the space. Again, special thanks to Greg, Data Point, wonderful show. Be sure to check it out. Next one on the list is by uh, our host, Bobby Ritu. Bobby actually hosts a number of podcasts on our network. We're going to highlight both of them today. But the first one we're going to highlight is the Intersection Podcast, which is a really great podcast for those of you who may listen in. You'll know that Bobby is a master storyteller and interviewer. He's been doing this since July of 2018. So this show has been around with us for a year and a half now. He talks about a number of different stories that are related to healthcare and public policy, social justice and uh, sports. And it's a wide variety of, of conversations with a really interesting people. We asked Bobby what his favorite episode was, and it was uh, the episode Just Thank You, episode number 34, that came out back in February of this year. Uh, let's just jump over and let Bobby talk a little bit about the show, and then hear a quick clip from the Intersection podcast. Thank you. 
You never know when you're going to meet such an old soul, but when you meet that person, you realize that their story is so important to tell, you just pull out the microphone and just start recording. I met Tammy on a project working on behalf of the Duke Endowment centered around access to care, and one of the reasons why her story is probably my favorite story from 2019 is because Tammy and I are very much alike. We both have asthma. But the difference is, is the fact that I have access to care through my insurance provider, where Tammy does not have insurance. Her story was so real and palatable that it really connects with so many individuals across the healthcare delivery system. I met Tammy one morning while working on a project for our friends at Well Vista. Founded in 1991, well Vista is a 501c3 organization that helps uninsured and underserved South Carolinians gain access to essential health services while reducing the long-term costs of health care that result from the untreated conditions. In 2018, Well Vista filled more than 291,000 free prescriptions in the treatment of chronic disease. Tammy is a recipient of Well Vista's prescription assistance program. Tammy is one of 250,000 plus people in South Carolina who is uninsured. Tammy and I share something in common. We both have asthma and rely on medication to keep it under control. Since I have insurance, my medication is little to no cost. For Tammy, this is hundreds of dollars per month, money that is being used for rent, utilities, and livelihood. Here is her story. And I don't drive anymore since I had a, a situation back in May where um, I believe I was headed for a seizure because of no air, I quit breathing. So I haven't been driving and my sight's not that well. And I think all that is probably due from all the medication I've been on all of my life. But it's gotten to where I have to have these special discs. Um, two of my medicines are Advair and Increase, very expensive steroid discs. And I wasn't familiar with the proper way of using it. I was just ignorant to it when all this happened to me back in May. Um, in the Advair commercial, all I heard them say was asthma-related death, and everything else was shut off from that. You know, I just didn't pay attention. It was, it was, it was terrible on my part because I, I pretty much died. Tell me what your condition is. Talk about what that's all about. Oh, um, well... If I get hot, I start coughing. That leads to a terrible situation if I lose my breath. I have a nebulizer also that I'm on four times a day. But since I've started these discs back in May, I haven't had to use that in the, the uh, nebulizer as much. Do you um, have asthma? Yes, I have a real bad asthma. I have severe asthma and COPD. Mm -hmm. um, I was diagnosed with COPD probably nine years ago, and I could tell back in May what that was all about. That was scary. It was, I couldn't get any air in me, no matter what I'd done. I was trying to use my nebulizer. I was trying to use my rescue inhaler, and there was no air going past us. And so I just fainted. I woke up hours later in the hospital in critical condition. It was pretty scary. So you and I have a little bit of commonality. I've had asthma since I was a little kid. Oh, wow. And um, I've fought it really bad. Wow. So I, you know, I understand the cost of Advair. I understand all oh. those. Oh. I've been in situations where I've had similar places where I've 
gotten to a place where I've had to have friends get me to the emergency room because oh, yeah. my rescue inhaler didn't work. Oh, that's very scary. Talk about what that's like when having that type of condition. I don't think people realize how scary asthma is. Oh, it's very scary. I remember one time, my grandson's 17 now, when he was five, I was in Tryon, North Carolina, visiting my parents for Thanksgiving. My dad hadn't come off the road yet. He's a truck driver. And I just, my mom had like four cats and five dogs or something. And so something triggered my allergies and it, it was cold. And I started coughing, and the next thing I knew, we were calling 911. That was pretty scary, being that far away from home and having that happen in front of my grandson. It was very scary, and um, it even got worse that the the paramedic was a young fellow that showed up, and his oxygen tank was empty. Yeah, it was really bad. But, yeah, that is—I don't know how else to explain it. If you've ever come close to drowning— I don't know how to explain it when you can't breathe. It's very scary. It is scary. I Some of the things that I've always, I try to explain it to my wife or some of my friends, and they don't really understand. It's almost like someone puts a, a pillow over your face, mm-hmm. and you just can't breathe anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I even have dreams sometimes mm. of what it's like to you know drown, because oh. I'm always worried about my not, I'm not a swimmer. I'm a floater, and <laughs> I definitely want my face out of the water. That's been all my life, though. You know, I have a natural... When they listen to my lungs, they always hear wheezing in my chest. I say it's natural because it's always been there. It's never gone away. Never gone away. But it tr- allergies trigger me and coughing, the change of the weather. Um, I'll tell you, I was never one for a flu shot or an as- uh, a pneumonia shot, but I'm a firm believer. Those are great things, too. Talk about, I know for me, laying my head down at night... I can hear myself wheeze. I don't lay down. I can't lay down. Really? I have to sit up. And, yeah, I have, um, you know, there's, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like a chair pillow. It's got arms, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I have that with pillows. I don't sleep flat. I haven't slept flat in so long. I don't know what that's like. I was also diagnosed with, like, um, a heart condition. He said, basically, it was just part of my heart is functioning. And I do believe it's it's contributed to all of the sickness I've been. I've been sick all my life, all my life. They didn't have this kind of medicine when I was growing up. No. I'm so thankful to have it. I I can't tell you how much. (laughs) Were you always going to the emergency room trying to get things fixed? Talk about what some of the things you had to do to deal with just to to manage this. Mm, It was hard when I was younger. My children were little. And I was always the kind that, you know, I, I know I can fight this. I'm, I'm not going to run to, I, I can't stay in the hospital. I really don't like hospitals. Needles don't bother me. I've just been in the hospital so much. And as I got older, being a mom especially, I was, you know, trying to tough it out. Each time it got worse and worse and worse. And they told me, you, you can't do that. You can't do that. If you, if you have one idea that you're going to get in trouble, get emergency help. So one time... I was being rushed to the uh, hospital, and they told my boyfriend, stop and call an ambulance. Don't even try to do it yourself. You know, it was that bad. Each time it gets worse, it's scarier. I'll tell you, the way I feel is in my, all of this is really heavy and very painful. So I was always scared that it was damaging my heart from not the lack of oxygen, you know. And it does put a strain on your, on your heart and your lungs. How does it keep you from doing the things that you like? Oh. Or do you know what normal life is 
what we would consider normal life without having asthma and all the related lung issues. I can't, I don't function well in the heat at all. Um, we haven't yet turned, it's December, what, uh, 12th or something. We haven't turned our heat on yet. No, we have a little space heater and it only heats two rooms in our house. I can't, the heat, I panic. If I panic, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. If I can't find my inhaler, I panic. Right. Because I, I, I don't carry my machine around with me. Before I started taking my medicine the right way, um, I was c- to carrying my nebulizer with me everywhere I go. Yeah, everywhere I go. I'd have to stop shopping and go get my machine and find an outlet to take a breathing treatment. Thanks, Bobby. And again, if you don't subscribe to the Intersection podcast, I strongly recommend it. It's a variety of topics, but I'm telling you, each and every one of them is just riveting. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Well, let's jump along to the next one, Health Fail. Health Fail is actually one of our newer shows. It uh, launched back first quarter, March of this year. It actually launched kind of around the time of South by Southwest. That's how I can kind of remember this particular one. Hellfell is actually hosted by Zach G.Y. and Michelle Noteboom. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to the show, it's, it's something a little bit different. So they explore failing, failing in healthcare specifically. And so they go and have conversations with some of the best and brightest, both government, for-profit, not-for-profit, kind of all aspects of healthcare. And uh, they talk to them about how they have failed in their personal life and their professional life and how that has led and really birthed transformation. The episode they picked and I wanted to point our listeners to is putting a dot or DOT in healthcare with Jose Rasco. And so Zach had a chance to sit down with Jose, uh, who is the CEO and founder of Dot health and they discuss how uh, search giant Google can kill a successful search aggregator for uh, <laughs> hotels overnight, how the little understood market for top level domains are, are uh, transacted and how the desire uh, for doing well by doing good really evolved Jose's uh, fate in acquiring dot health. So again, just a couple of minutes here, health fail, Zach G.Y., Michelle Noteboom, give it a listen. I have a, a really critical question here. Um, I'm thinking about what I've heard from you so far. You don't come from, I, I see where you come from. Why are you sitting there in your office thinking about healthcare? No healthcare background at all. Like what is your context to healthcare and, and that's what you want to buy? And, and maybe expound upon that and say, uh, okay, we want to get the TLD.health and this is what we're going to do with it. Because I bet there's some failure. I know there is right? Little hints because we've talked about it a little bit, but 
talk to us about what you thought that you were going to do with dot health and kind of where that's evolved maybe sure so so i mentioned to you the you know the the opportunity to to uh, get a bunch of new domains uh, and so we actually did we you know my partners and i applied for uh 13 new top level domains and and the way that these these applications most of them were resolved were, were by auctions and and at the end of the day out of those 13 we we lost all of them except for health wow. and and the the there's probably the reason the only reason that that we did that was i i for whatever reason and and zach i mean i i know you're looking for like that little thing but i there's <laughs> there's something something inside me was like look there's there's something more for us to do here. And, and it's not just the business opportunity. Like I think there's there, we can do well. And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's a cliche, but we can do well and we can do good at the same time uh, within, within this domain business that we know. And so I, I, I actually, the night before the auction, uh, I called some of my partners who were, who were investing with me um, for the auction. And I said, listen, I think that this is going to go above what we've kind of set as, as the budget. And I think we should, I think we should go to X. I, I can't talk about the numbers, but I think we should go to X because I, I think I, as long as we're still under X, I think we're still winning in the long term. And, and man, we, you know, we, we happened, we pulled it off. I couldn't believe it, but we pulled it off. And so it was kind of fate to me that, that, that was the only one that, that we, that we won. And, and you alluded to, you know, to, to some failures. So, so Steven, you, you talked about meeting me in 2015. Mm-hmm. Where, where are we today? 2019. Mm-hmm. We launched, we launched in, in July. 2017 so a little bit less than two years ago so i spent i spent about three years uh digging into into the the health world um before i was ready to to bring this to the public um and and the reality is that i i was looking for a big hairy audacious goal i I was looking to to try to do something big with the domain I, I and and that's that's where you and i actually first met uh zach was somebody somebody introduced us that's right your friend um, from dallas a doctor right? exactly exactly dr vadia um introduced us because he's i forget i think you were you were starting mi7 or mi7 that's right yeah and and he said look this guy this guy has a background from microsoft and, and the government and and he might have some ideas and and you know after after three years of, of digging into what you know health records and EHRs and interoperability and the whole shebang, um, you know that that kind of was a failure because I I couldn't break through and find something something unique different that that could that could change change the dynamics of of health care online. 
Stephen, just so you know, my idea at the time when when Hutch and I first started talking, and this you know this dates me, and it also makes me think about my my background. Hutch mentioned uh, Microsoft, and I, I thought about HealthFault. But I think Hutch, what I told you about the dot health domain is, I was like, hey everybody should have their name dot health <laughs> and that's where we should store all the health records. We should revolutionize, you know, the health record industry and the personal health re- records. So do you Still own, think, do you own Zach? Do you Of course I do. I'm going to go register. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was granted to me just on free advice, but yeah, you're you're this is where free advice gets yeah. you. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're good at talking people into giving you things for free. I, so one thing you were talking about there, Jose, was um, getting into healthcare you know, to, to help people. And I, I think everyone who gets into healthcare probably has that at the root of when they join this industry. Um, and so I think that's a good maybe pivot to talk a little about the personal side uh, of your life and where you've experienced failure and how maybe some of that failure, uh, you know, drove you toward the, the field that you're in now. So are there any, you know, sides of your experience where you kind of had failure on your, on your personal life that has really formed you? Um, on, on the personal, I mean, I, look, I, I think to me, you know, work, personal life as an entrepreneur, kind of everything, everything blend, blends in together. And I, I'm, I'm fortunate. I, I consider myself to be very fortunate and, and, uh, successful in life just by the fact that, you know, I have a, I have a great family, uh, friends all around me. And, and so, um, I, I, I would find it hard to, to say, you know, personal failures outside of, outside of the business and, and entrepreneurial realm exist. Um, uh, cause I, I just, I'm very blessed in my life. So, um, you know, these, the, the one thing about these failures in, in startup world and business and, and even starting, starting into dot health, um, you know, I, I've always viewed them as, as these failures as, as just temporary. Mm-hmm. I, I view all failure as temporary and and those failures have kind of taught taught me to take the long view and and that's that's kind of how how i see dot health today um so I, I mentioned i was looking for that home run idea right and zach talked about you know the different iterations and ideas they went through your name dot health and your health records and you mm-hmm. know uh, a unique identifier uh, et cetera, et cetera. and at the end of the day um you know, I, I just circled back to what, what, what am I good at? Right. What, what do I know how to do and how can I, how can I turn that into a positive? All right. Special thanks to uh, Zach again. Health fail is the show. You can find that over on the website with all the others. Next in line is a podcast that uh, actually has been through a host change over the last year. Uh, It's the Connected Hospital, which is really, it focuses on topical news trends about health IT, really from a CIO perspective, focusing in on technologies, the industry. It's not just a CIO's perspective. It's really health IT leaders inside and outside of the hospital. And in October of this year, Lance Lunsford stepped in to start taking over the show. Lance is a senior partner in Groundswell Health. And over the last couple of episodes, he's done a lot of interesting conversations with a variety of people. The one that he highlights, and he'll talk a little bit about the show, is from November of this year, which is episode number 11, 
about transforming the hospital supply chain space. Now, you know, the hospital supply chain is very complex. So Lance was able to bring our really great guest over to his show, Ken Husted, the vice president of operations at Veritas Advantage. And they talk about how cloud-based application transforms the way for hospitals to negotiate for and purchase medical supplies and devices online. Let's just give a quick listen here to Lance and a little bit from the show. Hey, this is Lance Lunsford, senior partner at Groundswell Health and host of the Connected Hospital podcast for Touchpoint Media. I think we got off to a great start to really reintroduce the the podcast, and uh, we had a couple of great guests over the the last uh, several months as we got the podcast back up and running. It's hard to pick just one, especially when you consider the fact that we have a really great uh, podcast episode featuring a new way to use telemedicine for hospitals. But I think the one that I want to focus on as far as a best of for 2019 is going to be Veritas Advantage. Obviously, the hospital supply chain is complex and and really, until recently, it's only been managed by a few few people in the hospital and uh, more scrutiny is going into this, this area. You know, over the course of the next couple of years, the supply chain is supposed to outpace labor costs as a top expense for hospitals. And that's really, really necessary for us to figure out a way to, to bring some costs down in that supply chain. Veritas Advantages is doing that. They talk a little bit about that in this episode, and that's why I'm putting them forward as one of the best ofs uh, so far for, for 2019. And we're looking forward to 2020. So with that, here we go on Veritas Advantage, revisiting a little bit of our conversation that we had with them. Yeah, so uh, what we're trying to do is, is uh, on the one hand, I think I've said many times, it's, it's simple, and yet on the other hand, it's quite complex. And we just wanted to be able to deliver hospitals at what I call the point of surgery or um, you know, retail outlets call it the point of sale of being able to get actionable intelligence on what they're paying for their med devices. So so, so how do you do that? Um, you know, Because I think that so much of the the, on its face, we should be able to do this. It should be easy, right? Like we do it in retail at a at a ridiculous level and in multi billion dollar industries. Um, but there hasn't been a demand to do that, I guess, in healthcare because the the, the operations have been um, you know to where we've emphasized other pain points. But how do, how do you how have y'all gone about developing um, your program? And, and I guess how does it work with a hospital? Yes, we, we developed a cloud-based application, and we have about uh, 511 donor hospitals. So we've got about $20 billion worth of um, actual line item purchase uh, transactions in the cloud. And so to that end, that gives them access to a lot of data instantaneously. So if um, you know I were to uh, want to check the the off-contract item that, you know, I was paying for to see if I was getting a reasonable price. Um, they would use the app. It's iOS-based or Android-based, and they could use the barcode scanner, scan the box for the unique device identifier, and they would instantaneously um, have access to uh, to the data. And and I think that that's kind of one of the best way to, to break it down. And so, um, and this system that you use, where where do you get your, your data on that pricing? 
Yeah, so we have donor hospitals. Um, and then here's the other big thing, I think, Lance, is that um, in addition to the donor hospitals, we're creating a network that hospitals will actually connect with one another and share information, which typically or traditionally, you know, they haven't done that. They've, they've kind of worked in silos. If you're, you know, XYZ, IDN, um, you know, then you're in competition perhaps with another one. And so that inf- that lack of information sharing, I think, has, has, you know, led to part of the problem. So that's one of the things we're trying to cure. So as we add on members, our data set gets you know, a lot richer. So, so what's kept us in the past from being able to share that data? Are there, are there barriers to, to this or have there been barriers to this historically um, from the GPOs? You know, I wouldn't say that the GPOs themselves, but I think by design, it's, you know, the structure, particularly for physician preference items is, is complex. And it's, um, it, it is, you know, something that when we first started, you know, this concept, we wanted the same thing. What are some of the barriers? Well, one of the main barriers were that if if Hospital A got a, you know, uh, a device that was $100 cheaper than Hospital B, uh, they would have non-disclosure language in their quote. And so they, they weren't allowed to share it. And so that was probably one of the biggest legal hurdles we had to get through. Um, and, you know, in our, under our system, we simply, uh, they can reprice the items and that in essence is a, creates a new contract and there's no language and no quote, you know, involved. So you brought up the physician preference, uh, items. And again, um, you know, that, that is a, that is a sticky territory when, and I think probably one of the big barriers that are big hurdles, I should say, that hospitals deal with when it comes to supply chain. You may be able to get a great deal or a great price on something, but at the end of the day, if if a, if a physician has a preference on a series of supplies or or items, then um, that's going to. It's always difficult for those hospitals to negotiate that with directly with that physician. However. Um, what I'm hearing, and I'll be interested in, in this is your experience as well. When hospitals have this data to share back with the physicians, it helps them in that that discussion with the the physician about um, the item that he or she prefers. How how is it that you see uh, Veritas being able to aid the hospitals in those conversations? Yeah, uh, so. I think sort of two ways. I think the first thing is it, it brings awareness, um, as you mentioned, too, so that they can have a, an intelligent conversation with their physician group um, that are involved. And, you know, we don't we don't get involved in, you know, what a physician uses, uh, you know, et cetera. They, they're typically obviously more comfortable with things that they trained with through medical school for, you know, a myriad of reasons, I guess, why. Um, so I think the first thing is just to if use the the item that you want, but but also understand am I getting a uh, you know a reasonable price for it uh, as compared to the national average, let's say. And then I think step two is is once they see benefit in that, then now they do have that information and they can start working on some other things that might you know uh, their value analysis you know shows this product is very comparable or comparable to to this other product over here. So yeah, it's all about them. It's, it's about, you know, informed decision-making. 
Well, we talked kind of just for a second there about GPOs, but where are they going to really play in all of this? I think there is kind of a tendency as hospitals have scaled um, and and systems have gotten uh, larger that uh, the the procurement process has gotten complex and and y'all will I would think that Veritas would have a, a position in that. But I think a lot of hospital leaders in their procurement and their, their buying think that the GPOs have already kind of worked out some of these best prices. Um, that's certainly not not the case. I think that if ever all parties were able to be truthful about how that part of the hospital um, supply chain world works. But how do you how do you guys align with the uh, uh, GPOs and kind of the the future of of, uh, of that interaction with hospitals and health systems? They become more and more reliant on their GPO. Yeah, I think we're providing a tool that you know um, has it readily been in place. There's some other organizations out there that do you know something similar to to what we're doing. Um, you know, we're going about it a little differently with um, with the uh, cloud based app and. Um, in, you know, the, the point of sale sort of um, model that we have. Well, special thanks to Lance. He is a great guy and you should definitely listen to the show. Very interesting. If you're, you know, like a listener of our show uh, in digital marketing, clearly, you know, that the lines between digital marketing and, and IT are, are blurring. So this is a great supplementary complimentary show, I would say for you to kind of add to your podcast role. Next show on uh, the list, Gear in Review. So we mentioned Bobby Ratu earlier. Gear in Review, hosted by Bobby Ratu and Mark Berry. Gear in Review actually launched uh, almost exactly a year and a half ago. So it was June of 2018. I made an appearance on a few of the early episodes, and then Mark and Bobby have kind of given that new life and, and run with that. Gear in Review, is a, it's a cool show. Again, I know I've already said this once or twice, but it is a little bit different than some of our others where they, they're exploring the uses of a lot of different gadgets, gizmos, widgets, all that kind of fun stuff. A lot of the toys that we like to play with, like drones and gimbals and all kinds of fun stuff. So they help us think through those, what the good use cases are, review different products, uh, things like that. Their episode that they pointed to from 2019 is actually very timely in a really, really great show called When to Ask a Pro. And so, you know, they talk about certain things specifically within the show, but I think you could kind of layer this this idea uh, on top of a lot of things that you do within your marketing communications department. This is from January the 17th, 2019, When to Ask a Pro. They discuss like, you know, when to do it yourself and when not and uh, kind of where that line is. So let's jump over, listen to a couple of minutes and uh, we'll be right back. Gear Review really started out as a way to really look at gadgets and really dive into the things that we could use every day to tell stories inside healthcare systems. This makes Gear and Review episode 28, When to Ask a Pro, my favorite episode of the year because it was the first episode we got someone to ask a question and then based on that question, we responded. When have you found that our clients have decided to call us when they feel like they can't do it internally. They can't handle 
the video production or photography services inside their organization? Yeah, well, if you unpacked it, you could probably find several reasons. But the most common one, I would say, is when they really just want to step up just raw production value. You know, a lot of these places and healthcare organizations have their own in-house media team. uh, But a lot of times those media teams have a very high volume of projects. So they're, they're not able to devote as much time to uh, a certain project as they'd like to. And if they want to step up the production value on a project like that, you know, we would be a great resource. And in situations like that, they, they tend to reach out. Give me an example of when you have found that to happen. Is it a time of the year? Is it um, when there's a big campaign on? And when, when has that ex- quote-unquote excuse or um, – statement been used when we get a phone call from our clients? Oh, uh, well, if I can use an actual client example, you know, uh, we, we work with AnMed a lot in Anderson, South Carolina, and they did a campaign one time called Project Search, which is uh, which was a project where they they uh, kind of profiled um, a program they have going on over there where they, where they give uh, students with special needs chances to enter the workforce. And it was a project that, you know, they probably could have done it in-house, but they wanted to step up the production value and it had to be turned around pretty quickly. And they just felt like it would make more sense uh, to reach out to us and network with us to make it happen instead of trying to do it all on their own. Even though they had the capability, uh, it, it just made a lot more sense to work with us. Uh, let's talk about quality real quick. Um, what do you mean by separation of quality? Do you find... A lot of internal teams for organizations don't have access to the equipment. Is it um, final production quality that they want to increase? Is it just the cameras? What? Uh, tell us a few things that you've noticed as people would look inside the organization that sticks out when they want to move from internal to external. It can be access to equipment. I mean, that's a very real um that's a very real thing. I mean, it can be just the fact they don't have access to the same type of equipment we do. But what I have found most of the time, it goes back to my point about volume. They just typically, these organizations, they have such a high volume of projects, they don't have the time to really dedicate all their resources into one project. So we kind of come in and kind of fill in the gaps for them and give them that extra little push that they need. So let's talk about... Uh gadgets for a second. I spent a lot of time uh, training organizations how to leverage some really inexpensive tools and tools that they can use on a regular content basis for their social channels. We train Mm -hmm. them to use their phones, um, little stabilizers for their phones. Um, We train them to use uh, other types of devices um, that make it easier, small, portable pieces that they can walk through the organization, and even how mm-hmm. to edit in very inexpensive pieces of software. What do you see the differences from organizations that are trying to pump out a lot of social content versus the equipment needed to create larger scale projects? Well, for social content, especially the type of social content you're talking about, it, it wouldn't make sense for them to break out the quote big guns and make each and every video a huge glossy production. I mean, they just need a good streamlined approach to get the message out there. 
and we can come in and polish up something if we need to. But for the most part, they don't, you know, you, you were talking about not having access to the equipment earlier. They don't really need the access for the type of work that they're doing. And, you know, we throw around terms like quality-based and volume-based, but one is not better than the other. It's just a different type of work. If I need to pump out lots of Facebook videos, you know, covering tutorials, I'm not going to have, you know, a three-point light set up with gimbals and all that. I'm just going to get the simplest production possible so that I can get it out there as fast as possible. And that's typically what the type of stuff that they're doing. And that's an interesting, yeah, and it's not that they, uh, our clients um, are creating lower quality content, it's that the the content that they're looking for allows us to focus in on the technology necessary to make it look polished, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, Another thing that's interesting to me is that we, we sometimes end up producing the bigger projects. And they use the content out of those projects for social media. Do you find that that is a really smart approach for many organizations sometimes when they're trying to launch campaigns? Yeah, I think that's actually a huge advantage for them in terms of bringing us into the mix because, you know, yeah, we, we can bring our editing expertise, our storytelling expertise to the table. But also when we remove ourselves from the project, they still have access to all of that high quality content that they can then use into whatever other projects they may be doing on their own time, which I think is a fantastic advantage. It's a great supplement to whatever they may be doing. So what do you, what are the differences between uh, some of the Canon uh, EOS cameras, the C100, 300, 200s um, with lenses uh, the high quality cameras that are different from an iPhone recording mechanism. What have you found that's different in those two approaches uh, that separate those types of workflows? Well, there's a lot of differences, but the two most prominent ones I would say is uh, the ability to use high quality lenses versus what comes with the iPhone. And then just for our purposes, the robustness of it, uh, I'm not taking anything away from iPhone. Like they have come a long way with their camera quality. I mean, it's amazing what you can shoot with an iPhone now. It's just phenomenal. Uh, But I would never take an iPhone to film a six hour long corporate event. You know, it just does not have the robustness that comes with some of these Canon cameras. You know, that's a very practical difference in terms of aesthetics. uh, You got, you got interchangeable lenses on all these cameras. And, you know, that's not a Canon specific thing. We live in a, an amazing time now where a bunch of different companies are coming out with awesome equipment. So we, as a digital agency, we kind of have our pick. We just need to choose a workflow and we'll probably be taken care of no matter which route we go, whether it be Sony, Canon, you know, what have you. We happen to choose Canon. And with Canon, we have these amazing lenses that we can uh, tailor to each situation to just, add that much more of an artistic flair to shots. And it just gives you so much more artistic flexibility that you can't get with an iPhone yet. Um, You know, maybe one day you can, I know they, they do have a few little depth of field addition, you know, little add-ons you can add to the iPhone now and stuff. But I, I I would, it's not safe to say that iPhone is on the level of Canon yet in terms of, 
you know, interchangeability of lenses and things like that. All right, so that uh, that gives you a really great uh, depiction and insight around what some of the other show hosts are doing on the network. Again, I hope that helps kind of frame up some of these shows that you hear us talk about if you haven't had a chance to listen to them. There are a couple of others on the network that we did want to mention specifically. There's Health Chat by Anova, the healthcare system over in the uh, Virginia, D.C. area. More of a consumer-focused show, but on the network and, and certainly worth your time. We also have The Exam Room by Dr. Brian Vardabidian. Now, Dr. V, as we like to call him, he does the show uh, every so often. That show is just some great content about digital, about physician perspective in healthcare, and it's definitely worth a listen. So be sure to go out there and, and take, a, take a listen. Power of the Patient, which uh, many of you have, have probably listened to, but it's a simple uh, five-part series that ePatient Dave, for those that are familiar, put out uh, a little over a year ago, probably. And we're still seeing some really neat traction on that kind of that evergreen content. So again, if it's the ePatient movement uh, is of interest to you, I would encourage you to go check out that five-part series. As you're seeing, our focus in our network is really around the healthcare industry and the healthcare segment. We have a couple of other shows that kind of focus in on specific areas that are sponsored by other companies. So for example, Binary Fountain does a whole podcast on our network around online reputation management and listing management. It's a show called That's What They Said, and they do a number of shows hitting on the topics that are related to that particular section of that of the industry. So that's definitely one to check out. And then the last one is kind of near and dear to your heart, right, Reed? It is. Uh, high stakes. Uh, is that maybe our newest show on the network? I think it is. I was, I, was, I was looking around our website here. I think it is actually the newest show. And again, it's called High Stakes. And that is also the thought leadership brand uh, for where I currently work, Gerard Phillips, Kate Hancock. Uh, we're a strategic communications firm based here in Nashville and Chicago. And uh, the fine folks here that do that thought leadership work launched an audio version, if you will, a podcast, as we like to call them, called High Stakes. And so it matches up with a lot of their uh, written blog content. They really get into not just the marketing communications piece, but talk on uh, transparency, mergers, acquisitions, issue and crisis management, change management, patient experience, things like that. So Again, uh, they're usually shorter takes and pretty frequent. And so that's a, that's a cool one to check out as well. So there it is, Reed. That's our sampler platter for the holidays. So when you're at your Christmas party the, uh, you know, over the next couple of weeks, be sure to pop on this episode of the Touchpoint podcast to kind of play as the backdrop as you're sampling all the cookies and cheese logs and reindeer crunch. You know, what is it? Reindeer, reindeer food? What reindeer I don't know. Whatever that you <laughs> whatever it's trail is. mix is what it is, but trail mix basically, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, so this will be a, a perfect complement to that holiday party. So everybody listening in, make sure to you know raise your eggnog up high, and we wish you a very happy holiday season. Absolutely. Real quick before we get out of here, uh, again, thanks for uh, hanging in there. Thanks for telling a friend, rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of fun stuff that we tell you each and every week. We thought it may be fun on the recommendation front if we uh, kind of picked out an episode we liked on the network that was not a, uh, you know, from our own podcast. And so the one I'm actually going to choose is from Intersection. Uh, we mentioned Bobby Ratu, the host of Intersection. Uh, he did a two-part series. So this is a two-for-one 
doesn't charge you any extra. Uh, it's actually episode 50 and 51, Killing Kate. You heard that right, Killing Kate. Mm. It's a fascinating story. Uh, this came out just this past November, November 5th and November the 18th. So anyway, you can go back. It's one of his more, uh, two of his more recent episodes. I think that is a, a super fascinating one um, if you want to kind of dive in and get a feel for what intersection is. But he sits down and talks to this particular individual who is a mother, marketing professional, but more importantly, she's a survivor of gun violence. And I won't spoil all of it, but it's a really, really fascinating uh, conversation that he has with her. It really is a little bit heartbreaking at times too, but it really you know has all the feels in it. I love that two-part series. That's a good recommendation read. My recommendation is actually going to come from the Data Point podcast. I really love Greg Matthews' sense of topics. And, and back in November, he did an episode about the gig economy and health insurance. And he was talking to Molly Moore, who's a health plan lead of Decent, about traditional approaches to health insurance that don't make sense for freelancers. Now, when I listened to that show, I was like, wow, because there's a whole segment read of our economy that's going to the freelance economy to really be able to shift the industry, health insurance in this particular case, to address that different type of workers in the marketplace is really fascinating. And it was a really interesting conversation between Greg and Molly. I strongly recommend it. It was, it, again, it's it, the episode's called The Gig Economy and Health Insurance, a conversation with Molly Moore of Decent. And back in November of this year on the Data Point podcast. Wonderful. Well, I hope you're having a great time, friends, family, uh, the holiday season. Uh, we've got a couple of really cool episodes coming up. And I hope you'll tune in for those, specifically the first one of the new year, which is actually going to be released on New Year's Day, is our uh, best of show uh, where each of you have uh, voted, hopefully. Uh, If you haven't, you can uh, check that out online. But it's a bit.ly link, Touchpoint 2019, Touchpoint all lowercase 2019. Go out there, vote in, take just a couple of minutes, and we'll have uh, some neat stats and insights and voted on awards. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith. Thanks for tuning in, and we will uh, see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.